I'm Jared. Um, I, we, my wife and I, Jana, Jana's right there. We moved to the city uh, almost a full year ago. That is crazy. We moved um, last June. And um, to do, we, we work with, with college students at NYU Tandon School of Engineering. Um, a couple of those students are here. Daniel Sierra, he's um, smarter than me. He's a PhD student in transportation. Um, it's really awesome. He's here. And then uh, some of you might have met Prince. Prince has been here every week uh, behind the soundboard. I'm really sad, though, because uh, Prince is leaving to Ghana on Tuesday. So he's going to be gone. He's only here for a few months. So we're going to hang out and play pool today. Uh, but uh, my pleasure to be here and um, finish out the series, finish out four weeks without Patrick. Um, I, like, when he was gone, I was like, oh, like, I'll just talk, you know? Like, that, that's kind of what, but like, turns out Patrick does more than talk <laughs> on Sunday mornings. He does a lot, and so we're going to be glad that he's back. Um, yeah, we're going to really look forward to when he's back, so, uh, but it's my privilege to do the, the More Than series. Um, we're, we're wrapping up a series on Peter, um, the, the failures and, and legacy of Peter. And so this morning I thought I'd start with a story uh, of one of Peter's successes, actually. Um, major success for, for Peter. It's out of Acts 2. Um, and you don't have to turn there. I'm going to be going through, through pretty quick. But there's a story in Acts. So the, the Jesus had just uh, ascended into heaven and he was gone. And uh, the apostles, the, the disciples, were hanging out, trying to decide, oh, what are we going to do now? Like, what, what's the plan here? And one day they were praying, presumably in a slightly public place, and as they were praying, um, these, these little, they call them tongues of fire, but basically like little flames started appearing above these, these guys. And as you can imagine, uh, like th- this wasn't normal for back then either. They start to freak out. People start to freak out. And all of a sudden they start speaking in different languages. And uh, all of them speaking in, in different languages at the same time. And so uh, everyone in this place is like, okay, what is going on? And at su- some point, s- the rumor started to spread that they're drunk. And they're like, hey, bro, you drunk? And Peter's like, nah, it's 9.30 in the morning. What do you think I am? You know, like a drunk. So they're like, no, it, uh, we're not drunk. It turns out that we're speaking in different languages uh, so that we can present the gospel. And then Peter launches into, and th- this is an amazing moment where he brings order from chaos, right? There's this chaotic moment where you're wondering what's happening and Peter brings order. And, he, and, and what he brings to the table when he gives a sermon, so the, kind of the occasion was that Jews from around the world, the known world at that time, um, had come to Jerusalem and were there that day. And what the languages that, that the apostles were speaking were languages that these people understood because they were their own. And so Peter says, hey, there's a reason why this is happening. It's because we are here to declare that the Messiah came. It, it happened. The Messiah was here. And then uh, he goes into kind of a, a quick little history lesson for us of what this Messiah means. And then uh, to top it off, he's like, oh, by the way, we killed him. The Messiah was here. You killed him. We killed him. We killed the Messiah. And they're like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that's, that's not good. And, and at, at that point in the sermon, you might be wondering, like, hey, so what is, is, is Peter about to, like, unleash punishment? You know, James and John had been wanting to call down thunder on people, lightning and thunder on people. Like, is this the moment? 
But it goes differently. Verse 37 of chapter 2, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, get ready. It's about to get really bad for you. Just kidding. That's not what he said. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And I love that message, right? To, to embrace, to, to look at, at sin, but then to say, Jesus, he doesn't, he, he, his plan isn't to unleash wrath upon you. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins, right? And this word repentance is interesting. It, 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 it's going to kind of guide our time this morning. You know, when I used to think of repentance, I thought of like this kind of holiness quotient that repentance meant stop sinning. Like if I've repented, then I am done sinning, right? And and holy people have repented. And unholy people have to repent over and over again. This was my, this is my personal theology. Don't, this is in the Bible. That's what I thought. I thought that like a truly repentant person left sinning behind a long time ago. And the, and the question that usually gets asked around repentance is wrong. The question is, how holy are you? That's usually the question with, have you repented? But turns out, what, what Peter is calling them into is something that he did a long time ago, and, and it's a very different question. The question isn't, how holy are you? The true question of repentance is, who are you following? Repentance means, it literally just means turn around. Stop, stop going this way and start going this way. It implies a journey. It doesn't imply a destination. Repentance isn't, I've left sinning behind, and now, like, all the way over here, now I'm holy, and I can lose this status if I sin again. No, it's simply, I was going this way, I was following something this way, and Jesus said, I have forgiven your sins. Confess and believe. Wow, I'm going to follow him, right? I turn and I start following someone else. And this, this is very uh, personal to me, this, this follow word. Um, it's a big, big reason why I love Peter and his life. Um, and, and a big reason it's personal is so a couple of years ago, um, when my wife and I were thinking about moving to New York, we were, we, we were thinking about coming here, and we were just country bumpkins from Nebraska, thinking about what we were going to do. And um, New York was put on the table, and we were really excited. But as it would happen, a couple other amazing opportunities got put on my plate that I had been waiting for like five years for and had never been asked these jobs. But of course, when we start thinking about New York, right, these things get put on my plate. And uh, my own, in my own heart, this is the, w- the way I kind of think about it, is that I was following, um, I would call them ghosts, but th- not real people. You see, there, were, there was three men in my life that I thought were amazing, and they were. There's a guy named Gavin who mentored me and discipled me in college, and he was an amazing public speaker. Amazing. I mean, he is so good at speaking. There was another guy that um, was my, my mentor and boss after college wh- when I was working for the, for the Navigators, and that dude, John, was amazing at strategic planning and leading. Like, this dude was a leader. He knew how to motivate people and get them to, to think bigger than themselves and get people to do jobs bigger than, than they were previously thinking. And the last one was my own father. You see, my dad was an amazing pioneer. He loved starting new ministries. In fact, that's, that's kind of how I, my faith journey got started, was my dad 
um, planted a, a school, a Christian high school, in, in one of the worst neighborhoods in Omaha. And so what I, was fo- what I follow from time to time is kind of the ghosts of these men. Every time I step into a room, I want to be the best parts of my dad, John, and Gavin. Right? This, this is what I was pursuing. And honestly, not just the best parts. If I was being honest, I wanted to be slightly better than them. Right? So this morning, I, I pop up to this pulpit, and there's a th- part of me that wants to, to prove that I'm better than Gavin. Right? So I'm kind of following this ghost of Gavin to... to honor and, and glory in front of people, right? And then I step into my college ministry, and, and, I, and I lead these meetings, and, and I'm following the ghost of John, right? This, this, this need to win approval from the people I lead to, be, to show that I'm good at strategic planning and leading. And then when we came to New York, there was a part of me that wanted to prove that I could start something from brand new like my dad, right? And I was following all these, these aspects. And then when these jobs got put in front of me, right, when these, these opportunities in New York and, and these great opportunities to, to join God in the kingdom in Omaha, Nebraska, in three different jobs, I got confused, really, really confused. And I started to have, like, there was tension in my relationship with my wife, with God, with others, because I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I don't know what I was going to do. And I was, what I was hoping for was a job that would provide me the best opportunity to be the best of all these men, right? To, to, to be the best of, of, of Gavin, John, and my dad, who's also named John, John and John, to be the best of all these men. I was so consumed with following these men. And the question that finally got me, this was after like two months, Jesus, through a song, just kind of grabbed, grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Jared, are you going to follow me? I'm, I don't want you to be Gavin. I don't want you to be John. I don't want you to be your dad. Are you going to follow me to New York? Plain and simple, right? Are you going to follow me? And so this idea of following is, is very personal to me, and it has allowed me to experience more freedom than you could possibly imagine when you're just following Jesus instead of all these other things that we, that we choose to follow, right? Following Jesus brings freedom. And that's what we're going to look at today is what it looks like to follow Jesus and experience freedom from that. So we'll do a bit of summarizing of the last few weeks. Um, the main text we'll be in today is Luke 5. Um, so you can turn to Luke 5, uh, 1, through fi- 1 through 11. Um, the, the, there's two other accounts. This is a longer, more um, expansive version of two other accounts, Matthew 4 and Mark, I think, 2. Both have the call of the, of the first apostles. Um, but Luke is, is a physician, and he likes detail. And so I love this version. Matthew and Mark kind of give the summarize, but this is where we get a lot of detail and a lot of life. So that's why I picked it. And we're going to see um, Jesus' call to Peter to follow and pull some lessons of what it looks like to follow Jesus from that. So let me, let me pray, and, um, and then we'll hop right into the text. God, thank you for asking us to follow, and would you help us to follow you to listen to you, to um, walk with you. And God, would you speak through this text on, on who you are and what you're like so we know who we're following. And um, yeah, God, we, we love you. Thank you for this time. Your name, amen. Okay, so here's, here's the text. Luke 5, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I love this story. The, the story has so many um, components to it. So I'll just kind of retell it for, for some of the flavor. So Jesus is teaching, and uh, crowds, multiple crowds, more than one crowd, were bearing down on him. And uh, Jesus, all the time, I love this. Uh, I don't know who said this first, but he's always looking for, for a better pulpit. Um, he, he doesn't always have like a pulpit. So he was like looking at what, what was going on and how many people. And he thought, okay, so it's going to actually be easier for me if I get on a boat and go out from land for a bit because that's how large the crowd is, right? So it's not, he couldn't just sit on the beach. He had to separate himself. So he's walking along looking for a boat. And who does he see but Simon? Now, he had met Simon before. Uh, Simon had been introduced to him before by Simon's brother, Andrew, who was also there that day. And uh, Andrew um, was introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. So Andrew was following a guy named John the Baptist. And one day John the Baptist is, I, I, don't, I don't know, doing something, eating locusts or whatever he did. And Jesus walks by. And John the Baptist was like, yep, that's him. That's paraphrasing. That's, that's the guy. And Andrew's like, all right, uh, cool. I'm going to go grab my brother. So Andrew go, goes and grabs his brother Simon and says, we found the Messiah. Found him. Peter's like, sure. So Peter follows Andrew, and that's where, uh, or sorry, Simon follows Andrew, and that's where he first gets called Peter, which means rock, you know? That's, that, what a great title for someone to give you, like God, to give you, like, that nickname, you know? Dwayne Johnson self-appointed him, you know, I am the rock. God appointed Peter as rock, you know? Um, so Peter gets called the rock, and, and so Jesus had, had already met Simon once before, and uh, some of this is a little extra. Like, I, I get goosebumps thinking about the moment where, where, where Jesus sees Simon and, and pulls him out on the boat because I wonder if he started that day knowing, hmm, today's the day I'm going to call Simon. You know, today's the day Peter's going to drop his nets. But nonetheless, he gets Simon. They get his boat out on the water. He teaches for a while. And uh, another important detail is that uh, Simon and uh, Andrew were cleaning their nets which is basically uh, fishermen speak for they were, they were clocking in. That was, their workday was done. It was over. They were, they were picking stuff off their nets, and this was an important and time-consuming process after fishing to make sure your nets were clean and ready for catching fish the next day. So they were done. They, they, it, was, it was done. It was over. But they, Jesus still asked for their boat, and they willingly gave it. So they, they went out, and Jesus taught for I don't know however long, and afterwards... Uh, we, we presume, but we don't know, uh, so that, I'm just going to say that. We, it's a little extra, but presumably Jesus as a form of compensation for letting 
for Simon and Andrew letting him use their boat was like, all right, toss your nets over the side, you know? Again, they'd clocked in. It was over. They had cleaned their nets. It was done, right? And Peter's like, look, Jesus, we toiled all night long, all night, tossing these nets over, got nothing. But at your word, I'll do it. And you get hints of this, this interesting relationship developing between Peter and Jesus, where Peter's a little honest, right, but still trusting. Like, I'm not sure if this will work, but you're the Messiah. Let's try it, you know? They toss him over, and all, you know, tons and tons of fish. And then who comes over from, from another boat who is their partner, but James and John? Now, James and John were business partners in this fishing enterprise with Simon and Andrew. And Simon and Andrew would have been closer to James and John's father, Zebedee, because James and John, again, are middle schoolers, and Simon is roughly like 35, 36 years old. So what an interesting crew here, right? The, you know, like they're, they're closer with their dad, but here they are, James and John. And again, I just get this sense that Jesus is getting excited. Like, oh, here it is, you know? And, and uh, what, I, what I love about this story of, of, you know, the four being there is that we get so caught up with the crowds, right? Jesus preached to the crowds, but by far his greatest catch that day was those four men. By far. It's not even worth measuring the impact comparatively of what those four fishermen were going to do to the world. It's crazy. And I, and I get goosebumps. You know, I, I'm, I feel just like, oh, here it is, squad goals. I love it. James and John are here, right? Now, when, when they were, while they were still coming over, the, you know, fish is, is bursting out from the nets, and Peter has the proper response, right? I am unworthy. You just made fish appear from nowhere. I am a sinner, right? And James and John arrive there, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, right? And I love that he says that because he really could have chosen not to. I love this aspect of grace. Jesus really could have been, yeah, you should be afraid. Honestly, right? I'm God. I created everything. You should be afraid. No, don't be afraid. In fact, you're going to start catching men. And imagine the picture of that for them, the vision for their life as their boats are sinking with fish, thinking about the souls of men. Isn't that incredible? And then there's this aspect that, that uh, Matthew leaves out, and he doesn't leave out on, on purpose. It's just something that I find fascinating. When we, when we hear about this call for Jesus to say, follow me, make you fishers of men, we hear, that, you know, they immediately drop, they drop their nets and follow him. I had always pictured their nets as empty, like they didn't have anything better to do, right? Like, th- like they didn't have anything. So what's the choice here? Their nets were full. They dropped full nets, full boats. That would have been worth so much to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. So much. They could have traded that for several days, maybe even more, more than days, months worth of wages. And they dropped it. And in this story, we have these beautiful hints of what it means to follow Jesus of what it means to drop everything, repent, right? 
They repented. That, this, this, is what, this is what repentance is. They, they, they could have worshipped the God of success, the God of, of, of respect, the God of comfort, whatever it was with all of these fish. That's what the fish represented, was their career, everything. And they repented and followed. Now this following word um, it comes from disciple. We, we use this word disciple. And often when we think of disciple, we, we think of like a classroom setting. So you have like a teacher who sits there and he gives you like all of what you need to know. You have information and then there will be a test on discipleship in three weeks and a paper due. You know, like that's kind of the picture we get from discipling. But that's not what a follower or a disciple really was in this day. To follow meant to watch and know intently everything about your master. Uh, there was a blessing they would give to uh, young men who were, who were hoping to be rabbis when they'd start following a, a rabbi, was may, may you be covered in the dust of your master's sandals. You may you be following so close that when your master's walking, you're just cut co- because you're, you're right here, right? You're covered in, in who he is. And so that's what they chose to do. So what are the hints? What, are the, what does it actually mean to, f- to follow Christ? What are we going for here? And as I thought about this, I tried to invent the wheel for about three days, reinvent the wheel, and I was like, oh, I got, like, I, I could do this, I got these brand new points, here's all this. And then God was like, bro, what have you been doing for the last three weeks? And I was like, thanks for calling me, bro. God, um, <laughs> don't check my journal, that, that didn't happen. Um, it was amazing how, when I, when I thought of what a disciple looks like, it, it, I've actually been describing it for three weeks. It's amazing how God does that, isn't it? So we're, we're going to take a look at three different aspects of being a follower of Jesus. And what I want to say at the, at the front end and at the back end is that we are following. When we talk about these three aspects, we are, I do not want you to, to wear the burden of trailblazer or creator or someone who has to do all of these three things and then you're a disciple. You are following these things deeper. There's, there's different aspects that you're following Christ into deeper relationship. But it's not like, after I do these things, then I am a true disciple. And you'll, you'll see what I mean when you see this list. But we, we are not trailblazing, we are following. Jesus is our forerunner. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one working on us. We are following him into these aspects. Okay, first, uh, first aspect is love Christ more than anything else. So this is our first week, to love Christ more than anything else. And that more than anything else is a bit intimidating, isn't it? You read that, you're like, wow, that's, uh, that's scary. What I mean by more than anything else is I don't mean quotient. I don't mean quantity. I mean direction. Here's, here's what I mean by that, is that when, you, when you're loving Christ more than anything else, it's not, you're, you're not making sure that at all times you are filled to the brim with only happy affection for Jesus. That's not what loving Christ really is. That's not what a relationship with Christ really is. When you're loving someone, you're, you're entering into a relationship with them, and we're entering into a relationship with a God who loves us first and more than we, than we do, right? He loves us more than we, than we even respect and love ourselves, despite our sin, in the middle of our failure, despite all of our insecurities, right? And so what we're entering into is not a relationship where I'm just proving all the time that I'm worth his love. 
That's not loving Christ more than anything else. Because that's actually, in a way, that's denying the cross and him dying for you. What it means to love Christ more than anything else is, is I, I think of like this relationship that people have with like a best friend or a spouse, right? Where the love is already there and I can be open and honest with my insecurities and my, and my flaws and my failures, right? The, the loving Christ more than anything else to me is more about who's your first text when something goes wrong? right? God doesn't really have, he might have a phone, I don't know, but maybe your first text should be to God. Your first call, your first conversation. God, I am scared. I am insecure, you know? And we see this aspect, I mean, I, this is conjecture, so it, it's only worth thinking about for a little bit, but we talked about the first week, Peter making this rash promise to Jesus that he will, never de- he will never deny him. In fact, he will die for him, right? But I imagine what it would have been like. I, he might have still denied him three times. We don't know. But I can't imagine what it would have been like if, if Peter was just honest and said, Jesus, I'm, I love you, but I'm scared that I'm the one that's going to betray you. I don't, is, it, is it me? I'm really scared. What's going to happen, you know? That's, that's the level of intimacy and relationship that we can have with Jesus. That's what it looks like to love Jesus more than anything else. Another, another example for me is uh, David. David was, a, was called a man after God's own heart and known as this guy who loved God. And uh, I, what I love about it is that we, we hear that, and, but read the Psalms and see how unholy some of David's prayers are. He gets after God sometimes. And you're like, really? You can pray that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I would never dream of saying that. You know, like, I'm not going to accuse God. I'm going to go to God and pretend that I'm okay and be like, hey, God, I'm totally cool. But secretly, I'm freaking out, you know? But the, but the point of those psalms that I love is, again, it's not about the quotient. It's not about the, the, the actual sort of, sort of the fleeting affections that we have. It's the direction. It's not as much about what you say in the prayer, but who you're praying to, right? I'm scared. Who, what do I go to? Do I escape through all these, or do I run right to God and say, I am terrified right now? That's what loving Christ more than anything else looks like. And he is drawing us into that. That's what following him is that he's drawing you into relationship. He keeps drawing you in and saying, no, I, I'm better than you think. I'm, I'm good. I'm better than you think. I'm good, right? And you keep, are you, do you actually love me here? Do you actually like me? Yeah, I love you. I like you. I made you. I like the way I made you, right? Like, like this is what it looks like to follow Christ and follow him close enough for the dust to be on you. And God met me in a, in a loving and personal way when I was questioning this New York decision, right? Like, what am I going to do? And what he drawed on was, was our next aspect. Basically, do we trust Christ more than anything else? See, God was asking me to trust him. So I knew that he loved me, but he was asking me to trust him. And this trust aspect, again, these are all tied up together, but this trust, basically, if love is experiencing the goodness of God, trust is experiencing the wisdom of God. Does he know what he's doing with me? Does he know what he's doing with the world? Can I trust him to go to New York, right? I was doing this like, like measuring thing and it, and it was just terrible. I was measuring, okay, so like this ministry has this many people and I'll be pioneering over here and is this equal to this and, you know, which is greater than and he was like, people are people, just trust me, you know? Souls are souls. I'll take care of them. Trust me. I'm wise. I know what I'm doing. 
you know? And, and the attitude that I, that I really like, Simon Peter actually uh, embraces this later. There's this really cool story in John 6 where um, it was right after the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus fed, that fi- fed at least 5,000, probably closer to 10 to 15. And um, he went across the lake and then these 10,000 people woke up and they were hungry again. And so they run across the lake, they run to Jesus and are like, hey, Moses fed us every day and every night for 40 years. You gave us bread once. I love it. I love that they complained. You gave us bread once. And then Jesus launches into, actually, uh, Moses didn't feed you. God did. And I, like, I'm actually the real bread because that bread, you like got hungry again, but I'm the bread for eternal life. You'll get it later. And they were like really confused. And uh, then he talked about what what we know as communion, like consuming his flesh and drinking his blood. And of course, they're freaking out because that's cannibalism. And we get it. They they were kind of freaking out. And then he said some more hard things. And there's this this amazing part in the story. Um, After he said these hard things, and I'll I'll start in John 6, 66. And this was what, uh, part of what Grace read earlier. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him many of his disciples, right? This was hard enough that some of his disciples turned around. So Jesus said to the 12, the 12 remained, I love this. Do you want to go away as well? And this, this is what trusting Christ more than anything else looks like. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is trusting God's wisdom. Where am I gonna go? You have the words you're it. Patrick talked about in Proverbs that, that the Bible, and I'll say really the God of the Bible who speaks to us through the Bible, is a guide, not a map. And this aspect is so beautiful. I think that, that we, when we miss this wisdom, we think that God is this distant guy somewhere over there who loved us and then just kind of let us live our life until we go and visit him again. But that's not what happens. That God came down, loved us, gave himself for us, and then he left a part of himself, a third of himself with us. So he's not up there, he's right here. And as I walk, I can actually trust his wisdom as I go through life. That's pretty amazing. And that's what it looks like to follow Christ. It's like, it's like there's this person, I, I get this picture, that the Holy Spirit is just sitting there. And I have all these decisions where I'm like, what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna read this, I'm gonna read this. And the Holy Spirit's like, <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh, what I'm going to do? He's like, no, really, like you can ask, I'm right here. You know, like I'm right here. Trust Christ more than anything else. Lastly is worship. Uh, worship Christ more than anything else. And again, I, I just want to draw, this is not a step-by-step step guide. This is just another aspect of the, of the diamond, right, of, of, the, of the triangle? triangle. Um, <laughs> I did that in front of engineers, by the way. That was really embarrassing. <laughs> Lost the word for triangle. Um, so it's just a different aspect, this worship. And basically is, do we, do we see God as king? Do we recognize him and his rightful place as Lord? He is our friend. He is our guide. But he is also king of the universe who created us, right? Who made life. And if that wasn't enough, this king stepped down from his throne, became a servant, and became a slave to death to buy back his subjects who rejected him. He is worthy of this title of king. 
And Peter would never have followed him if he didn't worship him. You won't follow him if you don't worship, quite honestly. You become what you behold. If you're beholding Jesus and you're worshiping him, you will follow him. Notice he calls him master. He falls down on his face, right? This, this guy is not like me. <laughs> I am not like him. He is king. Of course I'm, I'm going to follow him. Of course I'm going to repent. So you have these three aspects of, of this diamond that, that show what falling looks like. And again, what, what I'm not saying is worship enough, love enough, trust enough, then you'll be a disciple. What I want to give us is helpful markers for us of, okay, where, where might Christ be asking me to follow him next? And there, there's kind of little markers with each one of these aspects of being a follower that are really helpful. So I thought I'd give you them. If you're missing love, you will eventually stop following due to fear, right? So if, if, you, if you're missing this love aspect, this relationship with God, eventually you will stop following because you're terrified. You might see God as king of the universe, and you might see him as wise, as the inventor of knowledge, but he may or may not have your best interests in heart. Oh my gosh, that's horrifying. Can you imagine anything more terrible And pretty soon you're going to be like, I don't know if I want to follow him. He might be leading me to my doom. But praise be to God for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He is good. He's good incarnate. He wants you with him forever. He likes you. But if you're missing love, you will will stop due to fear. If you're missing trust, you will eventually stop due to confusion, right? So if you see God as this almighty king, this amazing sovereign, Lord of all, right? And he loves you, but again, he's distant. You're just kind of left on this earth to kind of figure it out. And honestly, this is is the one that I struggle with the most. That's why it was so personal for Jesus to say, you know, trust my wisdom. Because I have this really mercurial relationship with God where I'm like, you know, I'm a worm, you know, I'm like, I'm terrible, he's a king, I'm so terrible, I'm awful, I'm awful, and then, like, I fail bad enough, I'm like, oh, grace and mercy, he loves me, and I just kind of go back and forth, right, between, like, freaking out and being in love, and there's, like, this middle ground of where, like, maybe I can avoid huge mistakes and missteps if I trust him with his wisdom. There's, like, there's, like, a middle ground, you know, and for many of us, I feel like this is, this is more common, and, and, I, that's not a scientific, not, I didn't take a Gallup poll or anything, okay? But just more and more, I see that people see God as like this distant, distant God who bails you out every once in a while and comes down. But he's like right there and you can talk to him. You don't have to be confused all the time, you know? If you're missing worship, you will stop following due to pride. If you're not worshiping, eventually he's not worth following right? He's kind of like this good buddy Jesus that shows up, gives you some sage advice when your life's falling apart. But he's nothing more than that. He's not worth following, right? And eventually you start to think, I don't think I really need him, you know? And, and maybe this is you if you're like, yeah, I'm just not really getting anything out of the Bible or, you know, uh, a, a common word. And, and don't hear me like, it's, it's not good if something is this, but a, a common pride word is, that was really watered down. You know, or like, I already know that. 
God repeats himself a lot, my friends. He repeats himself a lot. Sometimes we need to hear the same message over and over and over and over again, and that's okay. But if you don't, if you're missing worship, you'll stop falling due to pride. So finally, what I want us to do is just to think for a moment. I'm actually going to give you a moment to think. You can jot down a note on your phone or whatever. But what I want us to ponder isn't, you know, again, this isn't, am I doing all of these things perfectly? But quite simply, where is Christ asking me to follow him into right now? You know, maybe something that I said of, of if you're missing something that spoke to you, but simply ask, you know, God is a person. Give him an ask. See what he says. God, where are you asking me to follow you into? Are you asking me to fall into love? Are you asking me to follow you into trust or into worship? You know, what, what's going on in my life? And, and this will be uh, extremely painful for those extroverts, but I'm actually going to give some silence of actual pondering time. Uh, for it, it'll, it'll be 30 seconds, but for, for you extroverts, it'll feel like 30 minutes. And that's okay. But uh, give us some silence to actually ponder this. And then um, I'm going to invite the band up and we'll close out by reflecting in, in worship. So um, yeah, go ahead and take, take about 30 seconds to ask where, which area do I feel like God is asking me to follow today? <laughs>